In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 385 last week i had the pleasure of heading down to san diego to check out the press event for this year's without walls festival which is coming up april 27th through the 30th while there i had the honor of walking the still in progress set of optica moderna's next immersive theater piece la lucha and talking with this week's guest director and designer david israel reynoso who just so happens to be one of our favorite creators here at nopro we had two excellent conversations and i managed to actually record one of them fancy me uh which you'll get to hear that one in a minute now, La Lucha is going to be previewing during WowFest, and then will be opening formally in May. From the build alone, it's clear this is the most ambitious project from Optica Moderna to date. And I expect not only all of our listeners in the Southland to make time to check it out, but hope that those outside the region either give it a go during Wow, or add it to their SoCal travel agenda this spring and into summer if we're lucky. A quick disclosure here before we go on, the La Jolla Playhouse set up accommodations for me while I was down there for the press event and to talk with some folks in San Diego. All right, got to do that part. Keep it all on the up and up. Now, if you want more on WOW, we've got a preview article up on the site right now with our 10 picks for can't miss shows. And yes, the La Lucha preview was one of them. A little bonus on the rest of the WOW lineup. The shows are free this year, save for the La Lucha preview tickets. This year's fest sees the return of Brassroots District live in the lot Summer 73, which we did a whole feature on back in the summer of 2021 when it was here in L.A. Also, there are works from no-pro favorites like Jessica Crean and Unique Trapman O'Brien, who are bringing their piece Fair Trade to San Diego, and Denver's Control Group Productions will stage a version of The End as part of the fest. Check the show notes for the Brassroots feature and for that preview article that I put up this week. You'll also find a new review rundown bursting at the seams with, I think, seven reviews, Leah Davis's Intercon U LARP diary, and the expanded March call sheet, which has a whole bunch of artist calls out in it right now. And you can find all of it in the show notes or a little bit later, um, not even a little bit later, like right now on the front page on the website. Why did I say a little bit later? A little bit later for you because you're listening, maybe you're in the car, you don't want to do things. See, that's why I said a little bit later. I know, I'm thinking about you. Two more things, both of them good news before we go. First, we're extending the deadline for scholarship and subsidy applicants to the next stage immersive summit, which is coming this June to downtown Los Angeles. And where guests will have a chance to meet David Israel Reynoso, and creators like him, along with creative leaders from the La Jolla Playhouse, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, the Department of Wonder, Games for Change, the Escape Game, and more that, well, that I'm just waiting for the green light from corporate communications to share. All thanks to our partners at Arizona State University's Herberger Institute for Design and the Arts, who are welcoming us into their home at ASU's California Center 
in Los Angeles. It all takes place June 2nd through 4th, and those who are looking for assistance in coming have until 11.59 p.m. on April 2nd, that's the Sunday when this drops, to get their application in. We've only got 20 full scholarships and 20 subsidized tickets, which are at $250 a piece, which is half off the list price of $500. So if you need some assistance this year, we know it's a tough year. For a lot of folks, don't hesitate to put in for it. And you've got until just before midnight on the 2nd. All right. Don't say we didn't warn you. For everyone else, badges are on sale now. Check the show notes for links. We hope to see you there. Finally, one more piece of good news. We made our Patreon campaign goal. Oh, my landlord is so happy. (laughs) We now stand at $3,047 a month thanks to a few more backers and another sustaining backer, another person coming in big, bringing the total number of backers up to 432 folks. Here are the folks who pushed us over the top. Joe D. Rowe, Mehdi Farah, and new sustaining backer, John Boulette. Thanks to them and everyone else who jumped into the campaign, something like a fifth of all our backers have arrived in the last month and a half, which is just incredible. And man, I wish we could keep that pace up. But this is tiring. (laughs) It really is. But thanks to them, thanks to all of you, the newsletter is staying open to all. Not putting up the paywall. So glad we're not doing that. It'd be a bunch of work and really would just kind of bind us. Now, I can take a little bit of heat off the old campaign call, but remember, everything we do is community supported and we're just a bit over the halfway to the actual sustainable mark. So if you can, remember, as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash noproscenium not only powers the podcast and websites for NoPro and everything immersive, it also gets you into our member-only Discord. It's member-only now. If you're already a backer, drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice. It helps immensely in this day and age more than ever. Hey, that WOW article... That's a good option right there. We are always no proscenium on social media, except on Insta where we are no underscore proscenium. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Oh, did I, I did not do that in one breath. That was two breaths, right? I had to take a breath in there. Listen to the tape. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are wor- out, up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noprocinium.com for details. We got a lot of folks and they have very good taste in immersive. So uh, maybe you want to attract their attention. Okay. This has been a long one. Uh, so let's get in this interview with David It is a joy.
We are here sitting in an office of uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego at one of their downtown locations right next to the train station here in San Diego. Sitting across from me is David Israel Reynoso, the artistic force behind Optica Moderna, uh, whose works Waking La Llorona and Las Quinceaneras have been some of our favorites here at NoPro over the years. And there's a whole new show, La Lucha, which is opening, previewing in April here in SD and opening in May, the previous part of the Without Walls Festival. And uh, David's been gracious enough to... uh, I got the tour of the set twice on two different days, got to watch it evolve over two different days, which is really exciting because a whole bunch of work is happening. And David's sitting across from me right now. Hi, David. I know it's a delight to be here with you. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's so good. I I, I feel ashamed because uh, we had a really great conversation yesterday. I was like, ah, oh, we should have recorded that. But <laughs> we're all good. Happy to revisit. The th- I've been thinking about the things we talked about yesterday. So good. it's been on my mind. What yeah. are we, well, let's, <clears throat> let's, before we get into what we were talking about yesterday, which yeah. I think I do want to like share with everybody because it was, it was a good mm. combo. Um, what is what is La Lucha? <laughs> yeah, what is La Lucha? What are you uh, making for us right now? Yes, Look so at that, wait, making for us. Look how greedy <laughs> I am. Gen- it very much genuinely is being built for the general us. No, it is. Um, La Lucha is a new Optica Moderna show that is only being made possible by um, the generosity of the, a partnership between La Jolla Playhouse and uh, MCASD, Museum of Contemporary Art, San Diego. Um, it's a dream come true for me as, as um, someone who loves immersive, loves creating immersive, and who's very passionate about creating stories that um, represent and honor uh, my heritage. You know, both uh, Waking La Llorona and Las Quinceañeras were um, about really holding these kind of uh, amazing stories uh, on a pedestal and seeing things that people might make assumptions about in terms of uh, Mexican culture and um, getting a chance to give them some, um, I don't know, the richness that I find in my both imagination and my heart. And I decided being able to really impart that same love uh, through a, uh, a visceral, uh, multi-sensory experience um, that I hope um, people carry with them and, and that it leaves an imprint uh, on them in the way that I, I carry those with me. So La Lucha is a new piece uh, that is inspired by Lucha Libre. So those of you who are less familiar with Lucha Libre, it is a form of Greco-Roman wrestling that um, kind of really uh, has been most exemplified in Mexico as uh, you may have seen um, a lot of wrestlers who wear these very ornate masks oftentimes. And within um, Lucha Libre, uh, many wrestlers who do obscure their faces live in hiding in some ways. There's a bit of kind of a living incognito. And sometimes that, that sense of uh, really preserving that um, privacy is of such high stakes to the level that people will wager their masks sometimes if they are the, they're in a wrestling match. And when a wrestler is defeated who's wagered their mask, their mask is removed. There's great efforts to shame and somewhat ridicule this person who's lost. And for those who don't wear masks, their heads are sometimes shaved. There's, and I, so I became very interested in kind of that, um, kind of that pomp and circumstance, if you will, surrounding uh, the rituals of Lucha Libre. And I thought there's ways in which we kind of adopt those same rituals in our day to day 
and, and the, our non-wrestling uh, uh, ring lives. And so this is a piece that really takes the visual tropes and, uh, of Lucha Libre and tells an imagined story of four characters who are embarking um, in, on a journey to really um, uncover their authenticity, if you will. What, what I love about the story you're setting out to tell here is this idea of identity and mask mm. and who we present to be, who we hide, the public persona that we create, the roles we're called upon to play, and then what's what's really inside of us, what what all of that is 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 hiding. And like over the past couple of decades, as the internet has connected us all, like the lines between who we are, public persona, our yeah. ability to like tell when someone's, you know, presenting themselves in good faith mm. or presenting or, or maybe they're they're being duplicitous all this stuff has become even even more intense yeah. than than it was in in the last you know media phase of our lives and and it's always there yeah. that idea of who you are at home versus who you are in the street mm. you know versus who you are at at work and that you have this wonderful sort of mythopoetic canvas to play <laughs> with uh is is exciting I'm, I, I agree. I'm terribly thrilled. I still kind of wake up and think, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, the scale of it as you know, you've gotten the to the walk through. The scale is, is amazing. So, I mean, when we did Waking La Llorona, I mean, that experience as a, was sort of having five, so every five minutes we had one person go through. And in total, that was between a kind of 25 to 30 minute experience. And then when we did, uh, Las Quinceañeras, we had two people go in every five minutes. And that experience, I think, was I think somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. Uh, here, we've created um, an experience that eight people every five minutes, essentially, you know, 16 people every 10 minutes, if you will, um, will go through this. And the way that this has been designed is for there to be moments in which you are having these very intimate scenes, one-on-one -on -one with a performer, and then you sometimes get uh, regrouped back with your, you know, maybe some, some friends or new friends, if you will, that you've just uh, gone through the experience with and then get um, separated again. And there's a level to which there's these kind of liminal moments within the experience that are meant to um, kind of leave it both to fate in terms of where you might end up. Um, but what I love about it is it's very much designed to be something that uh, you walk away holding a piece of a puzzle that you're meant to then put together uh, with those you just experienced this with. And, th and that's that's a, a big difference from the first piece. Mm -hmm. And you had some of that in Las Quinceaneras yeah, yeah. Where, where you would get, depending on which track you were on, you would get a, a, a version of view on the story. And here... You've so leaned into that. Mm. So getting, having the, the privilege of walking the set as it's being constructed and to see like, yeah, you, you load eight people in and there, you know, some people are getting one, some mm -hmm. people are getting it, you know, two, two people to a character or four people to a character. So it's really interesting to see like everyone's mm. experience starts differently. Yeah. So right from the jump. And then there's other moments. I think there's twice where you bring everybody back together and mm -hmm. break them apart. Yeah. And there's, there's something about... This is something I, I love about that we can do in the immersive form that you can't really do in anything other than, you know, video games, mm -hmm. right? Is providing people these 
unique perspectives on the narrative and then sort of requiring, like you just said, that, that mm. they come back together at the end and, and to, to fully understand it, you have to piece it together with your fellows. Absolutely. And I, what I love about that is that something that, you know, I, I think I was saying this yesterday, but the, yeah, this is the, what we were talking about. Yesterday. <laughs> the idea that, um, <laughs> an individual experience can become a communal experience Yes, that you, I always, you know, I, I say to people like in the way that you might go through, you might go on a trip on your own, but then you come back and you want to then tell your loved ones and friends about what you saw and the cool stuff you saw and the things that happened to you. And suddenly in that sh- retelling of what you what had happened as an individual, that then becomes a communal experience in the fact that it's a, it, it, that in the way that it's storytelling is a, is a communal experience. So my hope and intention with this project is that um, yeah, you may come with friends and then want to then sort of compare stories and sort of like, what did you see when you went through that door? I think also this idea of um, you might timidly walk in with some strangers and then afterward, you know, want to then, you know, really inquire what they saw and then find yourself sitting at a table, sharing a drink. Uh, just so everyone knows there will be a cantina on the, yeah. uh, at, towards the end. <laughs> Gotta have it. No, and I just felt like, I mean, I think it's really, you know, important. And I think really is, is, is to, um, certainly there's, in, in a lot of immersive experience, there is that idea of having something that, a space to then gather back together. And when we did Waking La Llorona, that hadn't been part of it in terms of what we considered in the design of it. But inevitably, there, there just so happened to be, there was a... Um, amazing sort of brewing company right next door uh, that where people just kind of landed afterward. Mm. And the thing that was interesting is that people who completely didn't know each other, but, you know, just sort of would see someone walk in and be like, oh, did you just go through that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's kind of a shared level of understanding. Like, oh, what you just saw. Well, what did you see? How was that? And then started wanting to untangle what they what they took away from it. And so it felt like, well, let's embrace that. And let's embrace that even further to the point where we get to um, make a, a space that's e- equally visually lush um, and, uh, and, and sort of feels fun and secretive in some way, but is meant to very much inspire the idea of um, assembling that puzzle. You, you were talking a, a moment ago about, you know, someone would come, th- come out of Arona and, and see, recognize, <laughs> you know, that someone else <laughs> had, had seen it, right? Yeah. That, yeah, that connection across. Yeah. And, and like one of the things we were talking about yesterday is this idea of like, you know, when, when stories stop being your own and become mm-hmm. ours yeah. and like that sharing of, of story yeah. and, and, and that moment, you know, we, we wax poetic about that sometime on, on this show about that being part of the secret sauce of immersive part mm. of the thing that, that makes this form, you know, very different, but also this is something I was saying yesterday, you know, for decades since like the dawn of mass media, it's, it was increasingly about how communal stories became solitary stories. It became about your story. Mm. It became about, you know, you're the protagonist, you know, how your story is in the world. What's your story? How are you going to be the hero? Mm. And in all that, we were losing a lot of the R, right? Mm. Like what is our story? Mm. And, 
as I was going along the set yesterday and seeing how you were moving people through it and, and doing this purposely fractured narrative and then pulling people back together. And then at the very end, you know, you can, you can go off to the cantina with those folks. If you want, they might be your friends. They might be <laughs> new friends. You'll encounter other people who, who, you know, had a different run that suddenly here we are very much moving it back to our stories, like how, mm. how we get, a communal story, yeah. um, which is which is so hard in in this day and age when the algorithm is tailoring you know things directly for you, yeah. right? Like how we break out of that experience and have something that is mm. truly shared, as opposed to sharing, right? It's yeah. the sharing economy, yeah. right? As opposed to sharing something so that someone can have an individual experience of it. How do we create something that is a shared experience and and that involves physically altering how people are, you know, interacting with the space. Like you've mm. got these three, it's three, right? Three big gallery sort of spaces mm-hmm. that you've built into yeah. and you've turned it into like, how many, so how many, many subs, I how don't many even rooms? know how many there are, but so there are many so many. Yeah. And there are all these very kind of individual corridors. I mean, I think the, the thing that I always find is, um, a currency, if you will, toward mm. sort of building community and relationships is is intimacy, right? And I think so much of that intimacy requires vulnerability, and that is like a, certainly like for, it's a it could be a red, it's a scary word. It's a scary word. This idea of kind of like oh, I don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable, but it, it kind of requires that sense of being able to trust someone um, to then be able to feel like you have the opportunity to. Um, then connect and the optica shows and i know a lot of immersive shows also do this they they require a level of trust from uh the audience there's a sense of having to release some things or sort of uh release some control um and and let yourself be um sort of submerged into uh, a new world a new experience and I think there's something in that, that exchange of consent, that exchange of, um, of being uh, sort of, you know, uh, someone offers out their hand and you take it. There's, there's a level in which you are, you are building uh, intimacy, vulnerability, that then on the other side of the experience, you are, I think, in a place in which you feel more open and more ready to want to then connect with a stranger. I think I know for myself, I'm someone who, uh, for whatever reason, I think, you know, we can give it um, many uh, sort of definitions to why this happens to us as individuals. But we, uh, yeah, I become very kind of closed off either through because I'm in my phone or because I'm isolated in sort of my thoughts. And it's easy to not look outward. And I think what's, even though we're doing some things to really shift your vision in some ways, kind of localize it and limit it. My hope is that then when you come out of this experience, your vision feels sort of broader and you want to then now really connect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's really critical when you're talking about vision, Mm -hmm. particularly in your practice, right? Like it's up to come Moderna and you have, you you have this onboarding that's, that's been common to all of your, your major works here, Mm -hmm. uh, where the metaphor is a, is an optometry optometrist and you're you're doing optometry test stuff. (laughs) How did you, settle in on that as as the onboarding mm. and and how is keeping that as part of the practice for each show influence the way you see 
connecting with the audience. Yeah. When I was creating Waking La Llorona, I was really thinking about that story and all the layers in terms of what people's experience with that story is. And I think how that story has inspired many, um, you know, both horror and, and, and haunts, which I think are, is so cool. But then I sort of thought, well, I'm not sure that that's what I'm interested in creating with this piece. Mm. And yet I, I don't mind that that borrowed language is, is sort of seeping into what you assume your experience might be. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yet I wanted people to, who were familiar with that story to be kind of invited to look at it from a different perspective through a yeah. new lens if you will and for those who didn't know it this idea of being able to be exposed to it you know and i think i i think i came across an image by manuel alvarez bravo who's a mexican photographer in the 1930s and there's a sort of reverse uh purposely re uh printed and reverse image of an optician's office office and it's in on the uh window in sort of painted letters is optica moderna and that is where the name came oh, wow. of this sort of 1930s Mexican uh, optician. There's something about looking at something that felt super nostalgic and it being called a modern optician. I thought, that's it. And, you know, uh, I sort of uh, thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to just in the way that we kind of I think with immersive, we require levels of liminal spaces of threshold crossing. Yeah. Um, and um it felt like well, that feels like an interesting point of departure. And I think too, there's so many layers to this idea of someone then evaluating your vision before you then have something put, you know, you put on something that then is going to shift your perspective. Um, and I think too, our relationship with, I think with um, medical practice, there is a level to which we, we have to trust the experts, right? They're all there. Oh, you want me to look into the, oh, okay, I'm putting mm -hmm. this on. There's something about feeling like, oh, I'm in, I'm in the hands of someone else who has some, expertise and authority in this space. Yeah. And I think it allows you as an artist member to just kind of go along for the ride when you feel like, okay, someone's in command, if you will. Yeah. There's a lot of talk amongst other creators, some academics about this idea of using social scripts uh -huh. or, you know, like putting someone in a social role. And this is something I was talking about yesterday. We were standing in the hallway that's going to become the, <laughs> the, 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 the office, as mm. it were, the onboard space. And, and I find... I find this this trope you're using of putting people into a a social script that they know how to deal with, mm -hmm. which is like, oh, I'm going to the eye doctor. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm supposed to do, and that they then start focusing on their vision, and and how they're relating to their vision it becomes front of mind. Not in the sense of like I'm telling you to think about your eyes, which people might throw up a wall against yeah, or yeah. just abstract themselves out of, but just actually getting them to do the thing, mm -hmm. and that one priming them to not be in the normal mode, whatever they just were in there. It's, it's different from what they're going to be doing, but also focuses their attention where you want to focus it. Absolutely. Before you plunge them into this other world. I think too, I was, you know, inspired by how it is that we do that so often in, in, in life and the way that we, we shift our realities from a moment to the next in terms of like both with VR or like, um, um, you know, playing a video game or like putting in headphones, to listen to music, that there's this moment in which we, we can flip a switch and sort of just uh, activate something in our brains that feels like, oh, I'm traveling somewhere new right now. And it felt like that idea of borrowing from that, uh, I guess, like you said, kind of knowledge that we already kind of have embedded in the way that we function. 
um, that gave permission for that invitation to travel through the portal, if you will. Mm. And I think too, one thing that I, I think is, I've always been inspired by is this idea that things in, in, or moments that feel rather ordinary in our day-to-day life, uh, like what happens when suddenly it feels like, wait, this feels, feels familiar, but then perhaps it feels like these people also hold magical powers or there's something kind of uh, uh, something else at play here that I, I didn't know I was, I was signing up for. And then what it does, it gives this sort of third l- layer um, to feeling like I, this is beyond, this is bigger than the physical realm, if you will, in yeah. some ways, you know, yeah. I always think about kind of how I love, um, uh, there are, uh, here in Balboa Park, I, I, there's, um, some really beautiful vendors who sell, uh, like necklaces and jewelry and, you know, they, they lay everything so carefully on a blanket on the sidewalk. People walk by and treat them completely like invisible human beings. Mm. And I suddenly thought, I just wish people could imagine that they're just so remarkable. And that like, what if in some ways the people who are oftentimes uh, not considered to be magical actually hold the greatest magical powers. And so I thought, well, maybe there's something about, you know, both opticians or perhaps people within our, uh, both in this cantina or in other, you know, spaces within this experience that it, it, it invites a closer look sort of like you're now faced with humans that maybe in times past may have been overlooked may have been sort of invisible to you and here no face them give them the dignity that they deserve in this moment yeah. and allow yourself to sort of be uh released into this new world there's there's something really fun about sort of this this idea of their their the vibe I get from the the opticians, the the technicians uh, around uh, a show of yours, is that they're like doctors of the impossible, right? <laughs> like that they have, yeah. and and what they're what they're giving you is like you know the lens on which to see mm. an invisible world. Yes, exactly. Um, and 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 the metaphor just just stacks and holds, <laughs> right? Like it 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 works, but but not just on a poetic level. On a mechanical oh, level, oh yeah, right. There are like, some very practical reasons for why we do that too. Yeah, yeah. And that I think the first time that first show, like you were using, you were using like a <laughs> repurpose, I think Samsung Galaxy, yeah, like thing, VR goggles, yeah, yeah VR yeah. goggles <laughs> that like you you were supposed to like put a phone into, but you mm-hmm. like ripped out the lenses so that yep. it wouldn't damage anyone's eyes uh, with with light. Mm-hmm. And it was just so weird of like putting it on and being like, and I was like, oh, I've I've done this before. I I'll put a VR. Happening. I know how to VR. <laughs> and then suddenly the 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 thing comes down, and I'm not looking into mm. like a screen. I'm looking to the world yeah. through that that box. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, this is brilliant. Like you know, <laughs> I've I've put I put blinders on mm. in order to see better. Like I'm, I'm having my vision focused on what's in front of me. You know, about to the irony of talking about this on. Uh, no proscenium does not escape me, but I think there is something about taking inspiration from a theatrical proscenium in the fact that you are, um, you embrace that anything outside the frame is sort of this invisible, your brain fills in for the rest of it, right? You sort of just see this cross section of a moment when you see something in a theatrical sort of traditional theater space. And, the irony is by localizing your vision in some way that then you are <clears throat> kind of like your own cinematographer as yeah. you're now moving through this space. 
it gives so much importance to whatever's in the frame. And I think too, it, you now have kind of these like pictures that live in your brain mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, as you talk op- about this, I'm, I'm having memories of the shows. Like yeah. there's certain indelible images right. from those two shows that like a Viewmaster, yep. keep popping up in my mind, like being at the bar, being offered a drink, mm. right. You know, uh, wa- watching someone walk away from me Oof. after they have like, you know, taken, taken the, uh. the, the, the obscura mm. down, mm. uh, in, in, in the second show. Uh, just just moments like that that are that are burned into my retinas because of that intense focus yeah. on what's in front of me. It's sometimes not. It's sometimes we we linger more with the things we don't fully see. Mm. Yet sometimes when we have full peripheral understanding of things, we're we're not able to sort of really zero in. And something about I think a good friend of mine said something about kind of this idea of sometimes when you see less, you see it kind of with more importance. And I think. Um, there's something really gorgeous about, um, I think, and the way that I think when we walk through in, in our dreams, you know, it does feel fuzzy along the yeah. edges, right? Like we sort of, we feel like there's a focused, you know, frame of someone's face or the, but it feels like the rest feels a bit fuzzy. And I think this idea of from inviting someone to participate or, you know, uh, walk through a space that is meant to feel dreamlike, um, I want them to fill in the the blanks and the fuzz, you know, that exists outside of that frame. Yeah. You don't just direct and and, and produce and, and, mm. and generate original immersive work. You you also design for the largest pieces. You know, you, you work with Punch Drunk, Sleep No More, and, and The Burnt City. And you also design for you know conventional you know theater Broadway bound mm. stuff. What what keeps you coming back to the immersive form, and 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 generating original work? You've got you could possibly lean into a different career path, mm. right? Why mm. why are you why play around in this space which can be so rewarding emotionally but so frustrating from a from a practical standpoint? I think the key word you just said is play, play around in the space. Mm. It reminds, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> when I was creating Waking Night Yorona, I, that came about through um, a grant that I received by the San Diego Foundation called the Creative Catalyst Grant. And I remember thinking, how am I going to execute this thing that feels so clear in my head, but I just don't even know how to take the steps to do it. And the only way that then it felt not as intimidating was to, think okay go what would nine-year-old david do to create this oh my god (laughs) so all right if i was making this in my bedroom in my closet and like like how would i do this and so that's where a lot of the it it unlocked this idea of like well this would be fun and what if this and oh i would make it out of this and and it felt like suddenly it unlocked every possibility instead of feeling like, oh, I need more money or I need more time or I need more support. It's instead of felt like, oh, this is an invitation to do something fun in the way that like I would invite my parents to come watch the show and that I'm doing, you know. And I think there's something about um, that that has always felt very important to me. Uh, I grew up loving, loving theme parks and always dreamed of getting to be an Imagineer. And so that idea of being able to tell um, something on a level of kind of a story that is led by visuals and experience and your senses uh, just felt something I was always very hungry for. 
And so when I had the opportunity to get uh, to, to work with Punch Drunk, it felt like, oh my gosh, this is the intersection of so many things I love. And um, it, it's, uh, it's, I just can't imagine not telling stories this way. It, I always describe, regardless of what the discipline is, what I do as a designer, both costumes or scenic or immersive, is that my role as a designer, uh, as an artist, is to be a three-dimensional illustrator. You know, in the mm. way that you see, there's this, you know, like in a you know, children's book, there'll be like this, the, the text holds equal important to, importance to the visual. And the visual is there to support the story. And if it ever gets in the way, it is not succeeding. But seeing this idea of like, that is my role, to create this idea of something three-dimensional that is in support of a story. So then with the work that I do with Optica, the story is very much at center, and yet it's, there's a lot of very nonverbal things with this, you know, the storytelling. So it's very much led by visuals and sound, and 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 I work with an incredible team of people, who um, have been so generous in terms of supporting the work that I've done uh, with Optica. And I just it these things do not happen <laughs> uh, on their own. I, I certainly I get I get to uh, have my name associated with these projects, but the the list is infinitely long in terms of all the people who have been so. Um, generous and loving toward give their talents to make this work possible well i can't wait to experience <laughs> la lucha in its fullness and i'm so glad that you you keep on coming back to the well you keep on making work here in san diego uh and we like every every few years it feels like the pattern is we, we get a new you know get a new <laughs> gift so Thank you for that. Oh, it's a delight. Thank you for all your support. And I, yeah, I look forward to having you here and, and I invite, uh, yeah, all of you all to come see La Lucha. It's, oh, uh, you better. It's a, <laughs> if you're hearing this, you better. It's a labor of love. And I just feel infinitely proud of the work that's being done here. Once again, I want to thank David Israel Reynoso for being our guest on the show this week. Do go check out La Lucha, whether in preview while it's at WOW or when it opens fully in May and carries on into June. And of course, the more folks go see it, the more folks who get to go see it. That's how live theater works. You get to extend runs, but don't wait Go see it at the start. That's what we need everyone to go do. And if you haven't had a chance to catch the work before, and a lot of you haven't because, you know, Waking La Llorona was like one person at a time and Las Quinceaneras was two people at a time. This is eight people at a time. A lot more people can go through. I think like as many people will get to see La Lucha on opening night as who got to see Waking La Llorona period, which is very exciting. But it also means <laughs> that we really got to get the word out there because not that many people have gotten to see the work before. So please, please, please go check it out. Now, if you're a creative who finds David's work inspiring, 
you might consider coming down to the next stage immersive summit, which is going to be in Los Angeles. I talked about it at the top of the show. If you're listening to this on the weekend that this drops, remember the scholarship and subsidy applications will close at 11:59 PM on the second. This is an extension, a two day extension on that because we want to give people a chance to get it in. If they're only hearing about it now, they hear about it afterwards. Well, we've already got people who've put in and we've got to address them. All right. So uh, sorry, too late. If you're listening to this on like Tuesday, that doesn't mean you don't have a chance to go. Badges are on sale right now. And who knows by the time you hear this, Hopefully some of those corporate comms I'm waiting on will come through and I can make a couple of really fun announcements because there's some, there's some, there's some players coming in that have made some really, really big moves over the past couple of years. And I am excited for all of us to get to hear what's coming next, how they do what they do. And indeed for folks to um, connect, because remember the next stage, we're only selling 200 badges all totaled with um you know 40 of them are the subsidized and scholars and then 160 are the rest so there aren't going to be that many people at this thing it is an intimate event it is a fantastic place to meet your next creative collaborator collaborator to meet your your next client maybe uh, a really really wonderful wonderful chance just to get the whole community together all right so give that a look the uh, all that's in the show notes if i sound really jazzed up <laughs> it's because i gotta get on the road in the next few minutes uh the tempest immersive experience from after hours theater company and the shakespeare center in los angeles is happening uh right now in la We're going to have folks from After Hours on the show soon, if all works out properly. Uh, And I'm going to see it tonight so that instead of just being like, hey, so um, this show of yours, um, yeah, I get to, you know, talk about it in an informed manner. You can also find Kevin's review of the show in this week's review rundown. It's up for a few more weeks uh, before the Shakespeare Center goes through some major renovations. So this is kind of a, a last hurrah in the old spot and another chance for After Hours Theater Company to uh, get their immersive groove on. Of course, another disclosure, After Hours is our partner on the Los Angeles Immersive Invitational and have helped us pioneer a really cool format we do in the creative community. So there you go. I, I'm having to make more and more of these disclosures these days, but that kind of means things are going kind of well. All right. On that note, uh, let's do the end credits because I got to get out of here. The associate producer for No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. I nearly Sean connery all of that. And this podcast is written... Nah, don't do it. Uh, I'm Noah Nelson. <laughs> and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>